previously on Criminal Minds. We have to make sure survivors and services can be connected. I've worked very to make that hotline as uh, had a, a state-of-the-art telecommunications. I, I'll admit it. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll, I'm just going to be honest. And I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff. But I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. My daughters aren't starving to death. I'll eat my neighbors. I was just trying to ask you where's the bus stop. Fact that Joe Biden is Joe Biden. And I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. You think I like sizing up my neighbor, how I'm going to haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? I'll do it. My children aren't going hungry. I will eat your ass. That's why I want the globalists to know. I will eat your ass first. Broadcasting live to tape from the dirtiest city in the world. Outside of Italy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What are you thinking about when that buzzer's on for that line? What do you think about when the 15th round you're coming out? You're listening to the podcast of a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. You know, we're living in a society. On today's episode... A 51-year-old venturist in the Canadian province Nova Scotia went on a killing spree. He shot and burned at least 22 people at 16 different crime scenes across 13 hours. It was the deadliest massacre in Canadian history surpassing the 1989 misogynistic Montreal massacre. Here's a little news flash. It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny! The Democratic establishment has dubious connections to an overpriced ice cream company called Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, which itself has shady ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Who else will I have ice cream with? Damien Patton, the CEO of a surveillance company and competitor to Peter Thiel's Palantir called Banjo, has been revealed to once be a member of the Dixie Knights. The Dixie Knights was described as, quote, the foot soldiers for groups like the Ku Klux Klan and the Aryan Nations. <laughs> Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan, a notorious neoconservative, published a conspiracy theory that COVID-19 was developed as a bioweapon in Wuhan. This not only helped give conservatives cover to talk about this theory publicly, but also helped it seep into liberal spheres. Every war fought starts with a false flag operation. All of that and much, much more. You're listening to The Society Show. Society. But first. But first, but first, but first, but first, but first. But first, this is the Facts and Logic Report, where I go through news in the U.S. and around the world. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. Iran launched a military satellite, followed by Donald Trump tweeting, I'm sitting there tweeting, bing, 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 quote, to shoot down and destroy any and all Iranian gunboats if they harass our ships at sea, end quote. Apparently Trump, John Bolton, and Mike Pompeo are really upset that small Iranian boats will swarm American ships as a prank. Ha! <laughs> Got <he. laughs> Major General... Hussein Salami replied, quote, 
We have also ordered our military units at sea that if a vessel or military unit of the Navy of the U.S. terrorist military seeks to threaten the security of our civilian ships or combat, combat vessels, they should target that vessel or military unit, end quote. I'm on a boat! Speaking of Iran, Ayatollah Khomeini announced plans to prepare islands off the coast of Iran in the Persian Gulf for residential infrastructure. Iran said they planned to do so to maintain security in the region. President Hassan Rouhani said, quote, This gulf's name is the Persian Gulf, not the Gulf of New York or Washington Gulf. The U.S. must stop applying its conspiracy plots against the Iranian nation who has its name on this gulf and has protected it in history, end quote, Rouhani said. That's history right there, you understand? Libyan warlord Khalifa Haftar's military lost important ground in the Libyan Civil War to the Government of National Accord, or GNA. The GNA is supported by the UN and particularly supported by Turkey and Sudan. Haftar is supported by the Sauds, Emiratis, Israelis, and Egypt. The GNA's most recent victories could signal the end of the Libyan Civil War. It came as, as a shock to supporters of Haftar, especially the Emiratis. Something that just surprised the whole world. Abu Dhabi released a statement condemning Turkey for using so-called terrorists. Today, uh, there was a terrorist attack, okay? Soldiers, referring to Syrian soldiers fighting for the GNA. I'm Syrian. I made the... Uh, I'm made in Syria, and I have to live in Syria and die in Syria. Turkey wasn't happy about the Emirati statement and released their own, accusing the Emiratis of supporting the Somalian ISIS affiliate Al-Shabaab in the Southern Transitional Council, which are the anti-Houthi separatists in Yemen. Turkey's statement continued, quote, The UAE government's ugly and unfounded accusations against Turkey are, in fact, the result of an ulterior motive to hide its own destructive activities. For years, the UAE has provided pooches in Libya with weapons, military equipment, and mercenaries, end quote. You're right, sweetie. I'm not cute. I'm drop-dead gorgeous. The tension between the UAE and Turkey have been boiling since the UAE supported the failed coup attempt against the Turkish government in 2016. Colonel Gaddafi says Libya is prepared for a long war and that the international forces against him will be defeated. He said the international forces are resorting to terroristic means, but the victory will belong to those who hold the Libyan territory. He added that those who come from behind the seas are too cowardly to come onto our land. We are on our land. We won't give up our children's wealth, our oil to the Americans, Britons, French, and to the Christian countries that formed a coalition against us. We will not leave them to enjoy our oil. They have to know that we will fight on a broad front, extending more than 2,000 kilometers. Never ever will you be able to make us surrender. This land will defeat you, inevitably. The Iraqi center-right Sunni political party called National Movement for Development and Reform announced it has withdrawn from the government formation process led by Prime Minister-designate Mustafa al-Kadhimi. This further stokes the ethnic tension that was largely created by the U.S. military occupation as the country's Sunni minority, especially in western Iraq, continue to gravitate towards the American, Saudi, and Emirati sphere of influence while the majority of the country remain opposing the U.S. Lovers in love and the others run away. Lover is crying cause the other won't stay. 
Unknown assailants lobbed an explosive device at a branch of the private bank Franza Bank in the L Lebanese city Sidon. Bomb armed. This attack comes from rising public anger against banks as Lebanon faces its worst economic and financial crisis in decades. On this very night, ten years ago, along the same stretch of road, in a dense fog. Germany declares Hezbollah a terrorist organization, then raids several mosques and homes. After much pressure from the U.S. and Israel to declare Hezbollah a terrorist organization. This is different than most of Europe's and most countries in general stance that Hezbollah is not a terrorist organization. Your campaign of terror, murder, mayhem will not be tolerated any longer. France and Germany feud with Silicon Valley over tracking coronavirus. France and Germany want to use Bluetooth technology to track coronavirus cases. Apple and Google refuse and they cite privacy concerns as the reason. However, the more likely reason is that Apple and Google are developing their own proprietary software that they want to sell to Europe instead of using Bluetooth. Tim Apple. Groovy, smashing, yay capitalism! <laughs> An armed man wearing a Canadian combat uniform was arrested in Ghana for impersonating a Canadian military officer. Police in the Democratic Republic of Congo have arrested Nimuanda Nasimi, the claimed prophet and leader of the separatist religious sect called Bundu Dia Congo. Bunda Dia Congo wants to form an ethnically Congo state out of parts of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. What? Republic of Congo. What? Angola what? and potentially Gabon. What? Bundu Dia Congo has been involved in multiple skirmishes with Congo police before. 14 members were killed by police during a demonstration in 2002. 134 members were killed in skirmishes with police in 2007. Oink, oink, pig, can you sing a song? In 2008, the government banned them, and then in 2017, BDK members broke their leader, Nimuanda Nasimi, out of jail. This current arrest started with BDK protests being disrupted, with the police citing a ban on gatherings due to the coronavirus. Throughout April, and that happened in March. Throughout April, about 20 sect members and police were killed in three separate clashes on a highway. On April 24th, following heavy gunfire in the capital, Kinshasa, eight more people were killed, 35 injured, and 168 arrested, including the leader, Nemuanda Nasimi, again. Nasimi was taken to the hospital with a head injury before being handed over to prosecutors. Indian police in Kashmir booked a 26-year-old female photojournalist, Mazrat Zara, for involvement in, quote, anti-national activities on social media. Her crime was posting a photo of a Kashmiri woman whose husband was killed by Indian forces. The Srinagar Cyber Police Station accuses Mazrat of... Quote, denting the image of law enforcing p agencies and causing disaffection against the country. End quote. They almost seem to make up laws just for charging fines. Sergio Moro was the judge responsible for locking up Lula da Silva as a political prisoner in Brazil. Sergio Moro resigned as Justice Minister for the Bolsonaro administration Bolsonaro. because Bolsonaro fired the Federal Police's Director General. 
The issue is, Sergio Moro is just as much of a corrupt bastard as Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. But American media is already hyping Moro as a replacement to Bolsonaro. I read several articles that gloss over Moro's direct collaboration in imprisoning Lula and arguing that he's proved to the public he's anti-corruption. What do you mean? It seems like what a lot of U.S. press is trying to do is they realize Bolsonaro's kind of a dipshit and he's too much Trump-like so they can't really convince the American, the general American public that he's good in a bipartisan way. Right now, the only Americans who like Bolsonaro are the same people who like Trump. I like them all. So what they need is someone like Sergio Moro to get a bipartisan consensus in the U.S. that the same exact far-right-wing oppressive government is good because they don't have a buffoon like Bolsonaro in the way. They have someone who's a little more... Uh, presentable and refined like Sergio Moro. Liberals have really failed. After days of rumors and innu innuendo from Western and Western-friendly press, Kim Jong-un was revealed to be alive when he was seen after a 20-day absence at the ribbon-cutting ceremony of a new manure factory. I'm back! Baby! Lawmakers on the House Judiciary Committee have called on Amazon founder Jeff Bezos Jeff Bozo to address potentially, quote, misleading and possibly criminally false or perjurious, end quote, statements the company made. They cited a story from the Wall Street Journal that claims Amazon routinely uses proprietary data from third-party sellers to create its own rival products. The social media video sharing app TikTok is considering launching a reality TV show. I baked you a pie. Scientists discover frogs used to live in Antarctica before it became a frozen wasteland. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! A prominent anti-union lobbyist named Rick Berman released a memo to his capitalist buddies that said, quote, This is the first time since the early 1980s where I sent significant interest by employees in collective action and third-party representation. End quote. Berman concludes his memo with, quote, The good news is that most unions do not have competent union organizing staff that are skilled in managing this opportunity. End quote. Let's prove them wrong, right? You know what, Mr. Bloomberg, wasn't you who made all that money. Maybe your workers played some role in that as well. Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences place mathematics and biology professor Martin A. Novak on paid administrative leave after a report finds Epstein used his program to rehabilitate his image. Keep in mind, Martin Novak is a tenured professor, and it is a huge deal to put a tenured professor on leave like this. Elon Musk has denied that he meant to call a British cave diver a pedophile when he dubbed the guy pedo guy on social media. Finally, CNN released a video of Chris Cuomo emerging from his basement after coronavirus quarantine. All right, here it is. The official re-entry from the basement. Cleared by CDC, a little sweaty. I can't sweat that cause I love the home. Just worked out, it happens. This is what I've been dreaming of. Wicked phantasmagorical experiences that are not Dreams, literally for weeks. A week's vacation. My wife, yeah, right. <laughs> she was cleared by the CDC. She doesn't have fever. She doesn't have the symptoms anymore. More than seven days from her quarantine. We're still a little scared, so I'll just give you one of these. 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 You one of these. You one of these. You one of these. Bella has, of course, taken the video. This is the dream, just to be back up here doing normal things. I wanna be 
people are. I wanna see, wanna see 'em dancing, walking around on those. What do you call 'em? Oh, feet. However, a police report from Easter Sunday shows that it's not true. It's a made-up tale. Chris Cuomo got into an argument with a guy biking by his house before he released this video. Here he comes. Here comes John Wayne. Cuomo himself corroborates this because he griped about the incident on the Howard Stern show. Hey now. And that's that for the facts and logic report. Before we move on to some news, I would just like to say... Uh, be sure to check out undergroundmall.xyz. That is the blog associated with this podcast. And follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool, Christian IZ cool. Um, and while you do that, let's transition to the big stories. Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan is a notorious neoconservative. He's not one of the old guard ones like um, Bill Crystal or um, Eli Lake. There's more, but you know, the ones who really stand out as like the classic neoconservatives. Um, he's more just like a low level younger one. His beat with the Washington Post, as far as I know, is red baiting China and trying to instigate a new Cold War with them. I'm sure he writes about other stuff too, but anything I've read from him is about China. And so on April 14th, Rogan published a conspiracy theory that COVID 19 was developed as a bioweapon in Wuhan. This conspiracy, conspiracy theory was thriving on alternative right-wing conspiracy, conspiracy theory platforms like InfoWars. I have all these other government documents. As well as with ideologues like Steve Bannon and, you know, neoconservative think tanks. The biggest conclave of conservatives in America. But Rogan managed to launder this conspiracy theory into both mainstream conservative and liberal discourse. Just a side note about Josh Rogan. I was first exposed to this guy a couple of years ago when I was doing my old blog. He wrote this repulsive-ass article about the Confucian in Confucius Institute. Which, the Confucius Institute is basically, for example, I took German classes when I was in college. There was a program there sponsored by the German government called the Goethe Institute. And the goal of it was to give people resources when they learn German as a foreign language. The Confucius Institute does the same exact thing, but for China. And Rogan wrote a conspiracy theory article about how this uh, Confucius Institute was actually secretly being used for evil Chinese espionage. I mean, that's just a side note, but that's where this guy's operating from, so... Previously, the theory he brought up, the Wuhan... Um, bioweapon virus was relegated to like I said the corners of online conspiracy media but Rogan's article legitimized it because the very next day Fox News's Brett Byer published a remarkably similar article uh, for Fox News and that same night scumbag Tom Cotton the I don't know if he's a senator Scumbag Tom Cotton, the congressman from Arkansas, echoed the same argument Rogan did on Fox News. So while Republicans coordinated and accelerated this coronavirus conspiracy theory closer to the mainstream, Josh Rogan's presence in the liberal Washington Post has also the th brought the theory into liberal mainstream. 
a lot of gullible nerds, gullible liberal nerds, I should say, bought into it because they believe whatever the fake Washington Post tells them. The Amazon Washington Post. Yashar Ali of New York Magazine tweeted out Rogan's article. Um, BuzzFeed's Tom Gara called the theory, quote, totally plausible, and MSNBC host Chris Hayes tweeted the article with the caption, yikes. That's gonna be a yikes for me, dog. This goes to show how helpless it is when liberals criticize conservatives for their anti-China xenophobia. Liberals are such gullible nerds that they echo these same exact propagandas that conservatives do. Then, when conservatives take that propaganda to its logical, xenophobic conclusion, liberals clutch their per pearls. The whole point of telling people that China is making bioweapons is to increase xenophobia. Conservatives are just following the intentional lead of their propaganda. I'm going to start recognizing the propaganda. And I just wanted to highlight this on the show because I think people don't realize the way narratives get wandered throughout discourse. They start one place, then one person says this, then one person says that. It starts with freaking Alex Jones, but in reality it starts before that with... Uh, people working at neoconservative think tanks who want a cold war with China, they launder that information through some people who then, Alex Jones picks it up because he picks up anything like that, and then before you know it, Chris Hayes is going, yikes! That's gonna be a yikes for me, dog. Moving on, um, Damien Patton, the CEO of a surveillance company and computer to power Peter Thiel's Palantir, the company's called Banjo, <laughs> has been revealed to once be a member of the Dixie Knights. And the Dixie Knights, like I said earlier, were described as, quote, the foot soldiers for groups like the Ku Klux Klan and the Aryan Nations, end quote. The Utah Attorney General suspended a contract with Banjo in light of this news. Damian Patton was not only a member of the Dixie Knights, but he was involved in two hate crimes against the West End Synagogue in Nashville. The first involved spray painting swastikas and get out and, quote, Jews suck, you suck, end quote, on the walls of the synagogue. And the second hate crime involved Damien Patton driving a car while another man shot at the synagogue as they drove past. So Damien Patton claims to be reformed and that he no longer is involved with neo-Nazis and no longer has neo-Nazi beliefs. I'm sure he actually isn't involved with neo-Nazis anymore, but I'm, I'm not as convinced with his beliefs. I mean, that's pretty freaking extreme, dude. Uh, shoot up a synagogue? Damn. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Um, but the thing is, our society teaches us that it's good to give reformed Nazis the benefit of the doubt, but... This situation requires a ton of benefit of the doubt and the, an amount that our society doesn't give to poor people and people of color. They are never afforded this level of credible credibility and, you know, reliability. Just trust this guy. He says what he means. Come on. Um, but that's kind of all besides the point. The fact is, he did these hate crimes, and he's now being elevated to a position of enormous power. I might come back with some special power. And the especially, this is especially alarming in the context of the story I talked about last episode. Society. The mass surveillance facial recognition company Clearview AI has connections to the far right itself. The founder is personal friends with several alt-right figures and the company is being funded by vampiric ghoul Peter Thiel 
with a lot of the financial and ideological support being laundered into the company through one of Teal's sidekicks called Jeff Giese. Is there something you need? Can I carry your weapon? Shine your boots? Back rub, perhaps? And speaking of Peter Teal, his company Palantir is helping build the coronavirus track tool for the Trump administration. Many, many french fries. The alarming thing about that is this tracking tool will likely be used long after coronavirus. In fact, I read that Palantir's data project for NHS in the UK, quote, may outlive coronavirus crisis. And if they're admitting that now, it's definitely going to outlive everything in its complete form. Nothing's going to change. This dude is just... Our future will be dominated by neo-Nazis and maybe former Nazis knowing everything we do and using that information. So, think about it. Think about it. This next story, it's not exactly the type of thing I want to focus on all the time. I like to present you with some international news, some um, kind of what's going on beneath the surface. This story's a little more salacious, but let's go there. Uh, the Democratic establishment has dubious connections to an overpriced ice cream company called Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. A man selling ice cream. Which itself has shady ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Could you please give us your name? Jeffrey Epstein. Is it true, sir, that um, you have what's been described as an egg-shaped penis? Now... People first became aware of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream when Nancy Pelosi appeared on James Corden's show and bragged about how much ice cream she had in an expensive-ass freezer. I'm going to play the clip, but keep in mind, her, she has two freezers in this clip. They're both like $12,000 freezers, and it's absolutely filled with this ice cream. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, what have you found? What are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate. Really? Chocolate? Chocolate! Chocolate! Chocolate, chocolate candy. Chocolate rain. Oh, wow. And this is, this is something you can get through the mail. Okay. Never run out. Can I show, show you? Me. Yeah, absolutely. This is the episode of Cribs I never knew I needed. What do you want, Breton Trash? Oh my, wow. Other people in our family look for some other flavors, but chocolate and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> See, yeah. I've always felt a connection with you and now I understand why. Mm -hmm. Since you've been uh, isolating in your house, how much uh, of, your, of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, uh, um, as much as possible, uh, it is, uh, it, 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 I enjoy it. I like it better than anything else. And I don't know why, but it seems to agree with me. I have a lot of energy and we just got to restock the ice cream uh, right for Easter Sunday because we were, shall we say, enjoying. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. I agree. Has. I don't know who I am without it. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. The ice cream in that clip is Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, which, if you're wondering, costs $12 a pint. If you don't buy ice cream much, that's about double the price of Ben & Jerry's. It's absolutely absurd that both Nancy Pelosi would think that's an okay thing to share to the public on TV, and it's even more absurd when you realize Democratic operatives had to approve of this segment, or at least knew it was going to happen and did nothing to stop it. What? What are you doing in my swamp? And then, the even most absurd thing is there's a significant portion of the Democratic base who think there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's not their fault, though. They're just upper-middle-class suburbanites who are constantly taught that being elitist is uh, how you own Trump 
somehow. I don't know, but the Demo- Democratic Party is just trash. It is absolute trash. You're a waste. You're a waste. <laughs> it changes, it trains people who follow the party to behave like absolute shit and hate the poor. Um, anyway, I'm really just opening the rabbit hole here, folks. It goes much deeper, much deeper, folks. In 2015, Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream made an official ice cream flavor for Democrats called White House Blueberry. Not that weird, right? Well, in May 2019, Joe Biden gave a speech to Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream and said, quote, My name is Joe Biden, and I love ice cream, end quote. Joe Biden is a rabid dog. He should be beaten to death with a stick. This is where it starts getting weird, though. Biden's campaign has given over 10,000 10 million fireflies dollars to Jenny's Ice Cream, presumably in exchange for ice cream, but that's an absolute absurd amount of ice cream, even if it costs $12 a pint. But then it gets even way weirder than that. Les Wexner was the billionaire in charge of Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie & Fitch, Bath & Body Works, etc. He stepped down as CEO in February 2020. Les Wexner had enormous ties to Jeff Epstein. Epstein was Wexner's financial manager. Wexner gave Epstein his Manhattan mansion. At home, Darwin Pictures. One of the largest homes in Manhattan. Wexner also gave Epstein his power of attorney, which is highly unusual. And Wexner made Epstein a trustee on the board of the Wexner Foundation. There's a memo here from accounting telling me there's no such thing as the human fund. Well, there could be. But there isn't. Epstein frequently pretended to be a recruiter for Victoria's Secret models, and considering his close ties to Wexner, Wexner likely was in on this practice on some level. Super hot chick. The earliest known sexual assault police report against Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell came from a woman named Maria Farmer who was working as artist in residence at Wexner's house. Maria Farmer fled from Epstein, barricaded herself in a separate part of the home, and Wexner's security would not let her leave for 12 hours until her dad arrived driving to Ohio from Kentucky. So how does this tie into Jenny's ice cream, you ask? My bunghole will ask the questions. Wexner started the Wexner Center for the Arts at Ohio State University. Tailgate. That means football games, Ohio State, thousands of people in parking lots, on roofs. Epstein was tied to large donations given to the Wexner Center. Jenny Britton Bauer, the founder and CCO of Jenny's Ice Cream, is on the board of trustees for the Wexner Center for the Arts. Pelosi's freezer overflowing with Jenny's Ice Cream. What? Biden's campaign funneling upwards of $10,000. What? All of that stuff seems a little bit more dubious when you consider the connection to Epstein, right? What? Another thing, Joe Biden and his campaign has been consulting Larry Summers as an economic advisor. There was a special connection between Summers and Epstein. Epstein pledged at least $25 million to Harvard during Sumner's tenure as president for Harvard's program for evolutionary dynamics. Epstein was even given his own office at Harvard for personal use. Could you please give us your name? Jeffrey Epstein. Is it true, sir, that... um 
You have what's been described as an egg-shaped penis. A charity funded by Epstein also donated to the production of a PBS show called Poetry in America, hosted by Summers' wife and Harvard professor Elisa New. And one last thing about all this. Joe Biden faces sexual assault allegations from Tara Reid, a former staffer. She has presented a ton of evidence corroborating her story. For example, her mom calling into the Larry King show and talking about it indirectly. Lots of people who acknowledge that Tara Reid told them about this at the time. So it's 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 pretty credible allegations. Um, however, Biden's senior advisor is a woman named Anita Dunn, who worked for free defending Harvey Weinstein legally. Stop! You violated the law. Anita Dunn is also the managing director of a public affairs and political consulting firm called SKD Knickerbocker. Hey, Mr. Knickerbocker, boppity bop. SKD Knickerbocker handles Time's Up Legal Defense Fund's public relations efforts. Time's Up is an organization that ostensibly supports sexual assault victims come out against powerful people, but Time's Up refused to help Tara Reid. So why the actual hell is Anita Dunn, someone who would defend Weinstein for free, anywhere near a sexual assault defense fund. And now she works for the Biden's campaign. And so does Larry Summers, the scumbag with ties to Epstein, who rehabilitated Epstein's image. I don't think Jenny's ice cream is involved in a shadowy conspiracy per se, I don't think this is truly ice cream gate like pizza gate. But it clearly shows how incestuous the Democratic Party elite is and how inextricably that incestuous elite circle is linked to the remnants of Jeffrey Epstein. And equally as dystopian, I think it's totally possible that Jenny's is trying to unofficially sponsor the Democratic Party's campaigns. And what this leads me to believe, by 2024, we'll have, like, the 2024 Pepsi election. And it'll be, like, Sabras Hummus presents Liz Warren 2024 versus... My Patriot Supply presents Donald Trump Jr. 2024. I think politics will end up being sponsored like sporting arenas in the same way. And I think Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, with their weird ties, are trying to be the first to profit off of this. It's all about the money. They might not actively think that, they might not actively be trying to become like the the sponsors of politics, but functionally that's what they are building towards and they don't seem opposed to the idea even if they don't think about it in those terms. Hey Mr. Knickerbocker boppity bop, I like it the way that you boppity bop. I like it the way that you boppity bop with your hands. And for our final story today, a 51-year-old denturist. Sounds like a good dentist. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Crentist. Your dentist's name is Crentist? Yeah. Huh. Sounds a lot like dentist. Maybe that's why he became a dentist. In the Canadian province, Nova Scotia went on a killing spree. She shot and burned at least 22 people at 16 different crime scenes overnight across 13 hours. It was the deadliest massacre in Canadian history. On the night of April 18th, the murderer, Gabriel Wartman, was at a house party with his girlfriend. 
They got into an argument and then returned to Wortman's home. Wortman attacked his girlfriend, attempted to tie her up, and she fled into the woods. Gabriel Wortman then returned to the party and killed several people there. By the time people began calling 911, the police learned that the killer shot a man in a car. The man said the shooter was driving a cop car. By this point, several homes had already been burned. Wortman had killed 13 people either in the fire or shooting them as they attempted to flee the fire. In the morning, they found Wortman's girlfriend who confirmed he was using a replica police car and dressed as a Mountie. By 8 a.m., there was a 911 call about an explosion and gunfire where two people died about 23 miles away from where he started. An hour and a half later, another person was shot and killed as they walked down the street. Later that morning, Wortman was seen driving towards Halifax, and along the way he performed three traffic stops and killed the people in the cars. By 11 a.m., a Mountie named Heidi Stevenson saw Wortman and rammed into his car to get him to stop. Stop. Wortman shot at Stevenson, then dragged her out of her cop car, then shot her again and killed her. Both his car and hers ended up on fire, although it's not clear when or why. Or how, I guess. I mean, the why's kind of obvious. Wortman blew them up, but... He then killed a nearby driver and stole their SUV. A half hour later, he killed another driver and took their Mazda. At around 11.30, Wortman pulled into a gas station. A Mountie there recognized him and finally shot and killed him Headshot. while he was only about 20 miles from reaching Halifax. Presumably he was going to go on a big spree when he reached Halifax. Wortman's first victims were indeed known to him, but they became more and more random as time went on, obviously. Two of the people he killed included a hunting buddy of his and a guy who owned property that caused conflict between Wortman and his uncle. He didn't have a firearm license and people are still unsure of how he got his guns because he used several different weapons. He aspired to be a Mountie when he was younger, which explains why he had so much Mountie paraphernalia. Neighbors said Wortman had a drinking issue, and he had several small legal issues in the past, often revolving around property disputes. Now, what this story really reminds me of is the Stephen Paddock Las Vegas shooting, for several reasons. Gabriel Wortman and Stephen Paddock are personally quite similar. They are both described as relatively soft-spoken... Both of them were property owners, and they were both middle-aged and middle-class. White people are the devil! And they also just have unclear motives, or maybe no real motive at all, except just, like, I guess, pure nihilism. Wortman started with domestic violence and an interpersonal conflict, but uh, Stephen Paddock plotted and planned for months and targeted complete strangers. It's different in that way, but, I mean, it's still pretty similar. And the biggest way they're similar is just that there's no motive. Like I said, there's no clear motive you can pinpoint. What's my motivation? I don't think Americans have come to term with the Stephen Paddock shooting, even now, almost three years after the fact, for that simple reason. You can't explain it away. And, I mean, there are plenty of Stephen Paddock conspiracy theories, and there actually is a lot of pretty compelling evidence that could support a conspiracy theory. For example, there were email exchanges between Stephen Paddock and others leading up to the shooting. And the official report is he was having email exchanges with himself. But if you read the emails, they don't seem that way. One of the emails he supposedly sent himself said, quote, 
Try an AR before you buy. We have a huge selection located in the Las Vegas area, end quote. Another email said, We have a wide variety of optics and ammunition to try, end quote. A third email said, quote, For a thrill, try out bump fire ARs with 100 round magazine, end quote. Whoa! 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 The official story is all those emails were sent by Paddock to himself. Obviously, those don't seem like emails someone would send to themselves. But, the broader context of the shooting doesn't lend itself well to any one like specific conspiracy theory. In fact, the shooting doesn't lend itself to any explanation, even the most simple and straightforward explanation. Like, I don't know what to make of those emails, but they don't really... Am- like, I don't know what they add up to. I'm just baffled by them. Um, it, the whole thing just defies understanding. And both Wartman and Paddock are entitled, relatively wealthy, bitter men with, a, like, a midlife crisis or something. They got money and realized it amounts to nothing, so they kill people. That might be all there is to it, which in itself is shocking. It's almost shock- more shocking if he's if they were both just middle-aged white guys with decent amounts of wealth who go on killing sprees for no good reason. That that is shocking. Um, I mean, I don't. It's so shocking. I don't even have much more to say about it. So let's go to state of the state. The state of the state state of the state the economy was a powder keg ready to blow the past year and coronavirus is what blew it up. And everything blows up in your face. Now, there's deep uncertainty about what will happen to the economy. If the market crashed on its own terms, it may yield different impacts. But there are specific impacts rooted in COVID-19 that will shape the economy moving forward. Many economies, which have, you know, more robust social programs, have more resilience and will be able to bounce back to how they used to be easier. Plenty of other countries are politically and economically elastic. The U.S. political economic system is stretched so thin that I personally think it's a lot more likely to snap than other similar economies. Now, as a leftist, I think the left should seize the opportunity to speculate about what a post-COVID economy will look like while the capitalist class is scrambling with short-sighted hubris, trying to figure out how to make rent money right now. We need money now. I have a structured settlement and I need cash now. Call J.G. Wentworth. Uh, Elon Musk's this statement um, where he's minimized the coronavirus and poo-pooed it like it's nothing is a great example. He's not focused on the economy five years from now. He needs cash now. I need cash now. The economy will change because of coronavirus. I mean, it already has and it will remain changed in some way or another. And if we anticipate anticipate those changes, we can better organize for them. So here's my speculation about how the economy could change. One part of the economy that could remain impacted is retail work. I think a lot of retailers may realize that online sales are more profitable than having a storefront. Big and ubiquitous companies would still have retail spaces, 
but some have to be making the calculation that you spend a lot more on staff and rent and could sell just as much or almost as much online. The industries that have grown during this period include wellness products, home delivery, video games, remote learning, and video chat. These industries and sectors would likely retain a lot of that growth. There will likely be an increasing number of gig economy and warehouse workers. Companies may be more willing to allow working from home as they become more accustomed to long-term remote work. But that's just kind of the surface level what a average worker would experience. It's not kind of going deeper to the system. The government bailout for the coronavirus has accelerated some of the most aggressively privatized, speculative, and risky capitalistic elements of the U.S. economy. More and more duties that are typically allocated to the state will continue to be outsourced to private capitalists in the American tradition. And more of those private capitalists will be operating with increasingly predatory and risky investments. This means that companies will continue to amass more and more capital in an increasingly fewer amount of places. And then, just to get even more speculative, this is kind of getting into the fantasy land part, but... I've seen people talking about both a civil war or the balkanization of the United States. And personally, I don't think this can really happen. Or if it does, it won't happen for a long time. Um, People just like to talk about this. Um, But I do think the makeup of the United States will change over time. And one reason there won't be a civil war or balkanization is the differences amongst Americans isn't completely regional. Some states are more conservative than others, and cities are more left-wing than suburbs, etc. But it's not like we're divided along north and south lines like in the Civil War. Instead, what I see happening is traditional state borders becoming more malleable and more informed by some type of economic positioning. I think it's more likely we see the U.S. progress towards something like a mixture of like imperial states, duchies, well, like techno-duchies, decentralized administrative centers, semi-autonomous city-states, stuff like that. At this point, the existence of nation-states are really are a barrier to some capitalist interests, or at least the biggest and most powerful concentrations of capital are burdened by elements of the nation-state. Companies thrive when they're not when they're not burdened by any national laws. They want to w- work beyond laws or outside of them. So the U.S. splitting up into a bunch of little problems aren't. Er, the U.S. splitting up into a bunch of little countries isn't going to solve the problems that capitalists have. And unless there's some type of revolution, the U.S. borders are only going to change if it helps capitalism. There's no other incentive for the U.S.'s borders to change. That's why I think we're more likely to get city-states within the U.S. or some other weird manipulation of state boundaries. Um, to use an example, because um, I'm, I'm from Washington State, so I'll use the Northwest as an example. If the U.S. were to balk- balkanize, then presumably Washington, Oregon, and Idaho become its own country. But what I think is more likely is if Western Washington and Western Oregon become a state, and Eastern Washington and Eastern Oregon merge with Idaho and Montana or something like that. I mean, that's still highly speculative, but I think that's more likely. And in the western part, the suburbs around Seattle and Portland would likely be consolidated into city limits, and these would become like semi-autonomous city-states within other states. I mean, 
I've admitted, like, this is in pure speculative la-la land, but I, uh think that is more likely to happen than just like oh a second civil war happened well it's like between who or why um but i hope that my speculative stuff um doesn't distract from the more tangible ways we can predict the economy changing state of the state um and that's the state of the state state of the state thank you for listening to my podcast my name is christian uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Christian Iz Cool. Christian is cool, but is spelled with I Z. Or you can check out the blog that's associated with this podcast called UndergroundMall.xyz. And um, thank you for listening to the Society Show. Society. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. On the next Arrested Development. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. They li- I'm a Vietnam veteran and they lied to me about the Gulf of Tonkin incident. And the Reds had won the Cold War. There were the executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? Here's a list of all the giant, bad, dumb things I've ever said. But my government's lied to me so often, they've lost their credibility with me. Hating poor Americans, making fun of Bernie Sanders supporters is basement dwellers. So you helped put in the basement. Well, here's a little news flash, sweetheart. We're coming out of the basement. <laughs>